great, great, great worship. And I hope that you're being ministered to uh, as we continue to worship God even in this uh, very unique time. Uh, and now we're going to turn uh, to his word in just a minute here. Uh, we're going to be making a big announcement this week. As I uh, said in my Thursday address to our church, this next week we're going to be announcing what our regathering looks like. Uh, very soon. And so if you don't get our e-news, uh, then next Thursday night, you're going to want to come onto our website. And I and my executive pastor will be doing a video uh, giving the details of what our elders have come up with for our phased-in plan to start regathering as a church now that the stay-at-home order has been lifted here in Arizona. We'll continue, no matter what, to offer uh, exceptional online uh, worship capabilities as well, just so you know. I mean, that's a game changer now. And so for those of you who join us from out of the area, or as we'll talk this next week, will choose, and very wisely for yourselves, to stay uh, online and stay at home, uh, you're going to continue to get this great experience that we're able to provide through technology and all of that. So let me pray for us now, and then we're going to continue on in this series that we've been in called 316, which I'll explain more in just a second. So why don't you all bow with me together right now and let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, for your truth that have come to us through Jesus, your Son, and as we learned last week, even the power of your Holy Spirit. And we've just sang about that, Father. We've sang about our desire for more of the revelation of your glory, more of your power that has begun to be given to us through Jesus and the Spirit. And so, Lord, we now turn to your word. We want to learn more about what it takes to draw closer to you, uh, to tap into vital relationship with you through faith, and so, Lord, unleash knowledge to us now, and, and our response back, Lord, will be to live out that which we know to be true. And so we yield to you now in this moment. We give our lives to you. We ask you to empower this time in your word by your spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So did you ever think that the various 316 passages in the Bible could be so relevant, did you? If you've been with us at all through this series, you know that we're in week five now. We've looked at four incredible topics, topics like truth, and then injustice, and then godliness, and then power, four very potent topics, all tied to a chapter three, verse 16 in the Bible. There's over 60, uh, or just about 60 uh, chapters in the Bible that have a, or books in the Bible that have a chapter 3, verse 16, and, and every one of them are relevant and timely topics, what we need to hear today, all tied to chapter 3, verse 16. And we're not done with this series yet. We're in the home stretch right now. We have a couple of more weeks in this series. We're just giving you a sampling of the various topics in this series. And we're going to look at two more topics in the next two weeks, beginning today, peace, and then next week, love. Rustin's going to wrap up this series next week with a look at love. And so let's talk about peace today as we trace some of the many 316 passages in the Bible. Here is what our next one says, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, and, and it's powerful. It says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace 
in every circumstance, the Lord be with you all. Now, this is clearly what Bible experts call a benediction. This is the end of the book of 2 Thessalonians, or just about the end of it. And Paul the Apostle is kind of giving a spiritual wrap-up to his audience here, which includes us. He's imparting some very meaningful uh, parting words, words he hopes that they and we will never forget. And you'll notice it's obvious here that, that the topic he chooses to focus on in his parting words in this powerful book is the topic of peace, peace. And that's very relevant and interesting for us today. He could have ended on any other topic. He could have ended on truth or love or grace or, or justice like we looked at in this series. He chooses to end this, pass, this book on a passage and a verse talking about peace. So let's talk about peace and do a deep dive in what he is saying here today. At first, let's back up and talk about what peace means in the Bible as a whole. When you look at the Bible as a whole, uh, peace is a very fascinating, if not complex, study. Uh, the word used here twice for peace in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in appears almost a hundred times. And then when you look at the Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, it appears about 300 times. So add it up, over 400 times the Bible mentions this idea of peace. I would just tell you that's a lot. It was a very common word back then, just like it is today, this idea or concept of peace. Both religious and non-religious people back in Jesus' day and in the Old Testament all wanted peace. It's universal to the human condition. And so the Bible talked about it a lot back then. The culture talked a lot about it back then. And so we know a lot about this idea of peace from a biblical perspective. We know a lot. And so let's begin by giving a good working biblical definition of peace as they would have understood the concept to be back then in the Hebrew times in the Old Testament and in the Greco-Roman times in the New Testament. Here would be a good working definition of peace. I gave it to you about four years ago when we did a message on the fruit of the Spirit and we looked at this topic of peace. The definition doesn't change because it's as old as the Bible itself. And here is our best understanding of biblical peace. And that is that whenever the Bible uses the word peace in all the different various contexts, it means the cessation of hostility and the rise of friendship. Man, you're going to want to hang on to this. It's the cessation of hostility and the rise of friendship. So just very quickly, let me show you how this works. In 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 12, it's going to use this word peace and it says this. It says, the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon, you'll remember King Solomon, just as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a covenant. So it's fascinating here. There's peace between two warring nations, Hiram, who was the king of Tyre, and Solomon, who was the king of Israel, and this peace involves this cessation of hostilities. These nations were now no longer warring against each other and the rise of friendship, which is why they made a covenant with each other. And peace works this way today. When two warring nations cease hostilities and become friends, you and I call it peace. We all get this. 
But now I want you to notice further that it doesn't just work this way with nations, this idea of ceasing hostility and, 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 and the rise of friendship. It works in individual context between you and I. It even works within one's own soul. The same definition applies on all levels. And so I want to show you now how the New Testament goes on to use this same word in a more personal and individual way. We're going to look at Mark 5, verse 34, when a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years from a, from a terrible condition in her body touches the garment of Jesus, and she is healed miraculously of her disease. And look at how it goes on to describe the scene next. It says, and he, Jesus, said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Fascinating. Go in peace, Jesus says, and be healed of your affliction. So this woman had a terrible bleeding condition. And now that she has touched Jesus, now don't miss this, there is the cessation of hostility against her body from this disease and the rise of friendship between her soul and her body. She is now made whole and Jesus calls this peace. Why? Because it's peace within herself. The same definition as you would have as peace among nations. And what you need to know is that this is all over the Old and New Testament, the Bible. Whenever the word peace is used, whether it's in a national context or a personal one, whether it's between people or between things like a body and a disease, your own inner, inner, inner turmoil, the definition still stands. The cessation of hostility and the rise of friendship. And it's used very widely in the Bible to refer to peace with God, peace with others, even peace within ourselves. It's peace. Now, let's start to move on and get somewhere with this. In order to receive the great challenge that 2 Thessalonians 3.16 will present to us, you'll see what I mean by that in a minute, as well as to receive the immense help that 2 Thessalonians 3.16 is going to give us in our pursuit of peace. In order to get to the great challenge and the immense help, I need to do one more thing before we go into this passage, and that is to teach you very quickly the different kinds of peace the Bible lays out in our experiences this side of heaven. This will be very helpful for us when we go back to our passage in just a few minutes. And again, I, I did this four years ago, but it's really important that we get a quick flyover of the different kinds of peace that God is interested in that we have in our experience this side of heaven as we go to then apply 2 Thessalonians 3.16. And in short, there are four different kinds of peace that the Bible is interested in that we should have in our lives what we're going to call redemption or salvation peace, and then body of Christ peace, and then personal peace, and then finally world peace. So redemption peace, body of Christ peace, personal peace, and then world peace. Very quickly, first notice redemption peace. This is the peace that only believers in Jesus get because they have now ceased hostility between them and God. They've come home to God through faith in Jesus. And the Bible says that's peace. Romans 5 verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, here it is, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace, this grace, in which we now stand. So this is relatively easy. Through our initial act of placing our faith in Jesus, whenever that occurred for you, the Bible says that immediately you had peace with God. The cessation of hostility and the rise of friendship with him. He no longer holds your sin against you. Hell is no longer in the equation. Grace is now the name of the game. So it's a salvation, redemption peace that we have with God de facto by being a Christian. You're at peace with God if you're a believer in Jesus. Now, that's the first kind of peace. Notice a second kind of peace that flows out of this that the Bible talks about, and that is a body of Christ peace. In other words, this is a peace that can and should exist among believers who now share faith in Jesus, that no matter what their socioeconomic differences are or racial differences are or or even personal preference differences are, we have peace with each other. Look at how the Bible puts it in Ephesians 2. It says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by, dividing, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace. So you can't miss it here. It's all over. Peace, one, hostility, one, peace. And notice that this is done for us by Jesus. He himself is our peace. And so because of Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down between Jew and Gentile, between all of us who claim Jesus, and it's a peace we now have with each other. So you got redemption or salvation peace, you got body of Christ peace, and then as if this were not enough, notice a third type of peace the Bible talks about, and that is personal peace. And as the name suggests, this is the kind of peace that comes to us on a very personal level in our souls and spirits when we need it the most. I warned you in my, or told you in my weekly update that I'd be talking a bit about Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 that I quoted to you uh, last Thursday night in my video update. Here it is, and it's directly talking about this personal peace. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whoa. So when you and I are anxious, when we go to God in prayer and request things and give thanks to him, he says that his peace, not ours, his peace will invade our souls in every situation. It's personal peace. So we'll put all this together on how we get this in just a minute, but just note the different kinds of peace. You got redemption peace, body of Christ peace, personal peace, and then there is a fourth kind of peace the Bible talks about, and it's in a different category than these other types. The Bible does talk about world peace, something that everybody is interested in. And this is where we have to be careful because the Bible does say that someday there will be world peace. It talks about a millennial kingdom in the book of Revelation and a new heaven and a new earth, and it's all wrapped in peace. 
but this is end of time stuff. For now, let me share with you two verses that tell us what kind of peace we can expect now. The first one is Jesus talking. So he says in Matthew 10, verse 34, he says, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> well, that's interesting because he wants us to have redemption peace. He wants us to have body of Christ peace. He wants us to have personal peace, but now it seems like he's saying we're not going to have world peace. Well, what he's simply saying, and this makes sense when you read the rest of the Bible, is that at this stage in history, because there is a battle between good and evil, between right and wrong, between those who follow God and those who choose not to, he says Christianity is at the center of this battle, and so we fight for the good on all levels, and there will be times that this will create tension. There'll be times that in this world we don't get peace precisely because we're fighting for that which is good and there'll be some resistance to it and you don't have peace when that is happening. And so it doesn't mean that we go begging for a fight everywhere like some Christians do. What it means is Romans 12, 18, where it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody around you. So again, we don't go looking for a fight. We're going to live our lives as godly and righteous as we can. And we're going to try to pursue peace, even with the world around us, understanding that there will be times when that will not be possible. So let's add it all up. We have three kinds of peace being talked about here that we are told can and should be ours when we are walking with God. Redemption peace, body of Christ peace, and personal peace. And then there's a fourth type of peace that will come at the end of the age when God sets everything right, but for now we strive for it by pursuing what is right and good, though at times it will create tension and a lack of peace. What an overview of peace the Bible gives us. <laughs> if you don't say, see anything else here today in all the details, see at least this, God has reserved a tremendous amount of peace for us. Peace with him, peace with others, peace within ourselves, and at times even peace in this world, though that's not a promise. There's lots of peace to go around when you look openly at what the Bible says. So now, and only now, with this backdrop, we now need to wrestle with what 2 Thessalonians 3.16 inserts into our quest for peace. Because as I said to you earlier, and we need to wrestle with this, it's going to present for us right now an incredible challenge in our understanding of peace, but then also at the same time give us some immense help. So first, let's notice the challenge. Now I'm going to read the passage for you again. We're going to now stick with 2 Thessalonians 3.16. And as we look at it, see if you can pick up on the challenge. It says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. May the Lord himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. I don't know about you, but as I read that over the last few months in preparation for this series, <laughs> I became kind of bothered by those two phrases there, continually grant and every circumstance. 
And there was a part of me that even after walking with Jesus for 40 years, kind of wished it wasn't said that strongly. And so I spent some time this week doing a deep dive into those words, continually grant, and then in every circumstance, hoping that it didn't mean what it seems like it means. <laughs> and boy, was I wrong. Let me show you what I found. Now, that phrase, continually grant, is is translated by the English Standard Version and the NIV even more directly as at all times. So may the Lord of peace grant at all times. Now the King James translates it always. It's an issue of time being laid out here. It's the Greek word pos and then the Greek word didomai. Uh, pos simply means all or every. Didomai, we looked at it last week, means grant or to give. It's saying that God wants to give you his peace all the time, every time in your life. There's no getting around it. That's what it's saying. And then when it says in every circumstance, I thought, well, maybe that doesn't mean what it means. Well, the English Standard Version and the New International Version translate it in every way. King James says, by all means. It's an issue, certainly, of circumstance and scenario. It's saying that like any in all circumstances, any and all scenarios we might find ourselves in, with God, others, even in, within ourselves, God wants us to have peace. He's offering it to us. So don't do a drive-by on this, even though it feels kind of sticky as it did for me this week. The great challenge being put here is that God is offering us the granting of peace, not once in a while, like in some hit-or-miss fashion, not in a partial way. Don't you love Christians? I hear people say, well, I got kind of 60% peace right now mixed in with a little bit of anxiety or discontentment. It's not leaving room for any of that. No, fully and completely. It's saying that God wants to give us peace continually in every circumstance. And so as I thought about that this week, I thought, man, if you applied this to almost any other scenario in life, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. It would almost feel scandalous. I mean, let me just give you a couple of examples. Let's have some fun with this. Say you're a kid or a teenager who's tuning in to us today here, or if you're not a kid or a teenager anymore, just remember back when you were a kid or a teenager, and imagine your mom coming into your bedroom and saying this to you, hey, from this point on, I want you to keep your room continually clean, and I want it to be clean in every circumstance, no exceptions. <laughs> Imagine your mom saying that to you. I mean, you know, I grew up with a very neat and clean mom. My little mama, who died a couple of years ago, I mean, she was obsessively clean. Our house was always clean, our car was always clean, and she'd have us clean our rooms about once a week. But even with her obsession on cleanliness, she would have never said to us as kids, I want you to keep your room continually clean in every circumstance, no exception. That would seem like a very tall order. And yet that's exactly what God is saying about his peace here, continually, in every circumstance. Or here's another example. Say your spouse or a dear friend says to you, hey, you know what, we've gotten really close and I, I need you to be there for me. And you go, great. And then they say, continually and in every circumstance, no fail, 
you need to be there for me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have an amazing wife. I, I got some wonderful dear friends, but I'm human. And if somebody ever said to me, you need to be there for me, no fail, continually in every circumstance, I would say, you know what, I love you to death, I'm gonna do my best, I'm gonna try like crazy, but I, I'm only human. That, that seems like a lot to ask. And, and yet in an almost tit-for-tat fashion, folks, feel this. God is saying to us here that he wants us, as his followers, to have peace, all the various kinds of peace. That's why I went through it earlier. Like a child being told to clean his or her room continually and in every circumstance, or a spouse or a dear friend being asked to be there for us to be there for him continually in every circumstance, God puts this kind of premium on his peace. He wants us to have it with him, with others, even within ourselves, all the time, he says, in every way. And I'm telling you, you can't wiggle out of it. And so the question that I have for all of you, man, I wish you were here right now because I'd look you in the eye, but just see me doing so. The question that I have for us, which I believe is being posed here by 2 Thessalonians 3.16, is the great challenge, and it's this. Does your experience with God match his offer when it comes to peace? You, you have to wrestle with that today. Be honest with yourself. Does your experience with God match his offer when it comes to peace? Because his offer is that you would have it continually in every circumstance. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I was wrestling with this for months because I, I feared <laughs> that it means what it says it means. Many times the Bible does that to us. And, and, so, I, and so I have to admit here today that as I did an audit uh, on my life, and it didn't take long, that, that I admitted this week to the Lord that there are way too many times that my experience in this fallen world does not match God's offer when it comes to peace. And my only consolation is that I don't think I'm alone. I was working in my office this week on my uh, message here, and I was the only one here. I've been like that for about eight weeks. And, uh, and, and as I got up at one point to walk the hallways just to clear my head, I, I met one of our other pastors here. We have about 45 pastors. Most of them have been staying at home. But now that it's uh, being lifted, he decided just to come in for, for this one day and, and to get some work done. And I met him in the hallway, and I said, hey, it's been great to see you. And I forget how we got on this discussion, the subject, but I, I shared with him I'm talking about peace. And and, and in a moment of utter honesty, he, he looked at me and said, you know, <laughs> I woke up today and, and, I, and I had a great quiet time with the Lord and, and I was driving on the 101 here, here to the church. And he said, and, and I'm on the 101 and I just found myself getting so frustrated and angry at the other drivers. And it wasn't even that busy. There weren't even that many cars. And I just had a quiet time with the Lord and, 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 and I'm just finding myself so frustrated with the traffic, and I get in here and I just think to myself, what is wrong with that? When he shared that with me, this pastor, I immediately thought two things. I, I thought two things that many of us normal people would feel. The first thing I thought was, thank you, thank you, thank you for your honesty. The vision of our church is to get God, get real, and get out there. And that was a real moment. God wants us to be honest with each other, good, bad, and the ugly. And he was honest with me. I was just thankful for that. And the very second thing I thought is what maybe some of you might have thought. I thought, 
Boy, do I ever relate to that. I, I don't have an explanation, but there are times when I'm having this amazing quiet time with the Lord and I'm doing great and I feel that peace and, and then I walk out of that, that embryonic environment and I walk downstairs and I want to hit the dog. <laughs> I don't. And, and I just snap at my wife or I do something and I just think, oh my God, where is the peace? And let me be clear, when I audit my experience, I don't want you guys to misunderstand, it's not that I don't have any peace, I do. One of the reasons I love that those differentiations on the different types of peace in the Bible is that if you were to push me any moment of any day on salvation peace, I'd be the first to raise my hand and say, I got it. 24-7 every day, I feel it all the time. I don't struggle with that. I know I'm going to heaven. I know God's not mad at me. I know in Jesus, he forgives me. I feel it in my spirit. And I'm at peace with God, Romans 5, 1 and 2. I feel it all the time. Body of Christ peace. I actually have that most of the time, believe it or not. First five years, I didn't because you folks were difficult. But, but after the five years here and, and we've settled into our own and, and I've grown and matured in all seriousness and, and stuff, I, I generally have peace with those around me, especially in the body of Christ. I, I feel good about that. But, but that confounded personal peace, this is my journey, mind you, the, 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 I, I end up churning an indictment from one of my mentors. I churn way too much rather than experience his offer of contentment and peace. And so I'm bothered. I don't know about you, but I'm bothered. I'm challenged when it says continually in every circumstance. I mean, I'm tempted to say, well, I guess I just don't measure up, but I, I think God wants more from us than that. And my guess is that, that you can relate to my guess is that all of us feel a little bit squirmy when we read that the offer is continually in every circumstance. It may be for you, you do struggle with salvation peace. Maybe you're not content in your spirit when it comes to eternal security and the forgiveness of sin and, and stuff. Maybe you, you struggle with that and you long for the assurance that your pastor seems to have. Or maybe for you, it's body of Christ peace. Maybe you don't have peace there at all. Maybe you're constantly in friction with other believers and you wonder, what gives with that? Or maybe like me, you wrestle with that personal peace. Or maybe even, you know, under that world peace, like you never have peace with the world around you. You're constantly combative. And you wonder, what's up with that? It's honesty time in the house of God. We are told that we are offered continual every circumstance peace. And yet if we're honest with ourselves, it's a great challenge because our experience lags behind the offer. And so what do we do with this? What hope is there for a tender-hearted follower of Jesus who seems to churn way too much? And as we go into the, the final leg of our time together today, this is what I absolutely love about the Bible. It rarely if ever, leaves us hanging. And so with this great challenge, I want to wrap up today by sharing with you the immense help that this passage gives that was a bomb to my soul this week, that was a game changer in my walk with God, even though I knew what we're about to talk about. I got to tell you, it just spurred me on again. And so here it is. I call it the immense help. And it's this, the personal presence of Jesus. And I, and I might add the experienced 
personal presence of Jesus is designed specifically to bring peace to our lives. Did you know that? The personal presence of Jesus is designed to bring peace to our lives. So let's look one last time at our passage and you will see this in spades. It should jump off the page or the screen at you right now. It says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And then it wraps up very intentionally by saying, the Lord be with you all. Notice the bookends here. The bookends are key. What it begins with and what it ends with. It begins by saying, may the Lord of peace himself. We know the Lord is talking about Jesus because if you read all of chapter three, context means everything, you'll notice, let me get the verses right, that in uh, verses six and 12, it mentions the Lord Jesus Christ. So the context of the Lord here is Jesus. And it says that the Lord of peace himself, so the peace is in the Lord, it's his peace being talked about. Why is that important? Because he's not asking you to manufacture any peace on your own. He's not asking you to read a New York Times bestseller list or to watch more Oprah or Dr. Phil or even try to just manufacture up within yourself a bunch of peace. He's not asking, he knows you don't have it in you. So he's not asking you for that. He's saying, I have the peace. I'm the Lord of peace myself. That's where this peace is gonna come from. And how does it come to us? It comes from us by recognizing, living, experiencing, and realizing that the Lord is with us all the time. So the, the experience of peace, now don't miss this, is found in his presence. That's very, very important. It's a peace that Jesus has. And when we live the kind of life in which we experience and claim by faith, both are necessary. You claim it by faith, then you experience his presence with you. It's his presence that brings peace. I, I don't do this as Neil would call a shameless product placement where I'm trying to sell another book, but I actually had a, a journey of discovering this when I wrote my first book, How Joyful People Think, a few years back. I, I, I did a series, many of you might remember, that led to this book. It was a series called Attitude, Attitudes That Matter, on Philippians 4.8 that gives eight ways of thinking. And, and I wrote a book on, on eight ways, I did a series on how we can think that will lead to a more godly life. But in the process, it's a fascinating story, in the process of trying to secure a book deal, I originally wrote an agent uh, that I knew of that, that represents people writing books. And, and he actually said, I, I, I don't think that this book is gonna merit what you think it is, which was kind of a downer. You have to be let down before I get you left, left up or lifted up. And, and then he said something though in his email to me that was really change, a changer for me. It was a revelation. He said, if you do write the book, however, I, I, I would encourage you to use verse nine and not just verse eight. I remember thinking, well, I didn't do that in the series. What, what does verse 9 said? So I looked it up. And, and after telling us all the different ways to think, and, and says, you know, God's people think along these eight lines of thought, then it says in verse 9, and the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And what this agent was suggesting, and I actually ran with this when I wrote my book, is that this is exactly right that the, the, the things that we learn to think of in verse 8 lead to a level of experienced peace that comes from the presence of God. 
that when he is with you, he is with you as the God of peace, and it's tied into the way that we think. Ergo, the book that I wrote, How Joyful, Peaceful People Think. And what you guys need to know is that you've just bumped up against the biblical key, the mountaintop, the, 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 the climax of the story when it comes to how God wants us to have peace because it comes from somehow experiencing his presence with us. Let me wrap up with a story or two and then bring Neil up to close our time together. Back in the 1600s, the 17th century, many of you might have heard of a saint or a godly man that lived by the name of Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence. Many people don't know Brother Lawrence's story. He never wrote a book. A book was written about him and compiled some of his writings, a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence started out his first 26 years in life living as a peasant in France and then eventually went, because of the 30-year war that was going on then, went and fought in the war, but he got severely injured. And so when he got out of the war at the age of 26, he didn't know what to do. So he entered a religious order because he was a very religious man and started to serve God in this religious order. But he didn't have any theological training, he had no education at all. And so in this religious order, they said you could come in, but you're going to have to do menial tasks in order to, you know, be a part of this order. And so they originally made him a cook in this order. He was a, a, a cook serving all the other monks in this order. And then eventually his war injuries got so bad, he had such bad injuries that he couldn't even stand to cook anymore. So they allowed him to be a, a, a repairer of sandals. Uh, he, he, he made and fixed shoes. So the only two jobs he ever had in his entire life from 26 years of age on, uh, Brother Lawrence did, was a cook and yet sandals. And, and yet he wrote a book or a book compiled of his writings called The Practice of the Presence of God because watch this, his entire life theme was that no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, no matter what your lot is in life, you have the opportunity to trust that Jesus, your Savior, is always with you because that's the promise. Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promised that. You get to claim that by faith, Brother Lawrence argued. And over time, it takes time, train your soul to experience and rest at ease no matter what you're going through in the very presence of Jesus. Because he is with you, that's the promise. But many times your soul doesn't recognize it or miss it. And his entire life journey, again, as a cook and then as a cobbler, <laughs> was to experience the presence of Jesus. And he became so successful at this, he was so known for one who was at ease in whatever situation in the presence of Jesus that the learned monks from all over France and Europe would actually go to this, to the, 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 this, this monastery, wherever they were staying, and, and they would seek out Brother Lawrence, the cook, the cobbler, to find out his secret. And eventually a book was written on it called The Practice of the Presence of God. But it's not rocket science. It just takes time to calm your soul regularly in his presence, which is why we have quiet times and tell us all to keep doing that. And then all throughout the day to pause and to remember and reflect on the fact that no matter what the craziness going on around you is, he is with you. He never forsakes you. He never leaves you. And the presence is what brings the peace. That's the immense help. 
Last story, and with this we'll pray and be done. And again, I wrote about this in my book a few years ago as well. One of the first times I ever saw this was in a friend of mine named Joe. Joe still lives in the Detroit, Michigan area. Joe is a stockbroker, relatively successful. And, and Joe, for years, has known how to do one thing and one thing fairly well, and that's being a stockbroker. In 1988, Joe became a Christian. and became a follower of Jesus as an adult. And, and, and that began a journey where it was very difficult for him. He talks about this a lot, to merge what he would call the unsavory world of finance and stockbroking bro, uh, with his wonderful, tender faith and trust in Jesus. And I was in a small group with Joe for years, and Joe every week would come, and he'd just be in angst about the fact that, you know, that this stockbroker world, I mean, it's, it's competitive, it's cutthroat, and people, you know, aren't always honest, and it was just, you know, as his heart was getting tender to God, it was just, ee, he just felt it was ugly at times, but then he'd have this wonderful newfound faith in Jesus, it's all about the things we talk about here at this church, and love, and relationality, and forgiveness, and grace, and truth, and all these things, and he, he just had trouble mixing the world, these two worlds together. And at one point, it was just so freaky. He came in, and he seemed to be more at peace. And we asked him what was going on. He said, well, I, I learned a trick last week that's helped me a lot. And it's going to sound so goofy. And again, I write about this in my book, but it's, just, it's an amazing story. He said, I had a great week this past week because what I did is when I went into the office and, and I started to feel overwhelmed by all this crud going on around me, he said, I'd sit there at my desk. And I would just picture that there was a bubble around me, an impervious, impermeable bubble that, that nobody could get through. And inside that bubble are me and Jesus. He said, I would actually picture Jesus sitting with me. And then he said, when, I, when I'd leave the office, I, I'd leave in that bubble. <laughs> and when I'd be talking to somebody or when I'd be driving down the, the road or whatever it is, I, I, I'd picture them in that bubble and Jesus is in that bubble with me. And I remember thinking at that time, gang, that's actually extremely biblical. I'm not sure there's really a bubble here, but Jesus is with us always. He promised that. And, and it was my friend Joe's way of saying that that bubble helps me to visualize and claim by faith his presence with me. And then he said this. He said, all I know is that when I'm in that bubble and Jesus is in that bubble with me, I got peace. No matter what's going on around me, I'm at peace. And I've carried that with me now for almost 30 years, that, that, that we're all walking in a bubble. If you're a believer in Jesus, I promise you, you're walking in a bubble. And though you let way too many things and way too many people inside that bubble, and therein what robs your peace, you have a choice to say, it's me and Jesus in that bubble. doesn't mean you have to be hardened to those around you. It's a bubble in which you can see and talk to people around you. But he's your peace. He's the only one who can be your peace. And he wants to give it to you. And the immense help is his presence with you. So let's practice the presence of God. Whether you're a cook or a cobbler, a pastor, whatever it might be for you. Let's practice his presence, because in that presence is his peace. Father, thank you for all that you give and mean to us. Thank you as we started today, Lord, with the giving of your son, Jesus, whom we've seen as our redemption peace. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, who is the one who reveals these things to us through your word, so that we might even have the option of peace. And Lord, if I don't miss my guess, there are 
many, if not most, if not all of us here today that feel the great challenge of your word, that when you say continually and in every circumstance, God, we go, whoa, that's not always my experience, but it can be. That's what you want us to shoot for. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord who is with us always. We thank you that you are the Lord who himself is peace. And you want to bring that peace to our lives. So salvifically in the body of Christ in our personal lives, even in this world, would you bring peace? We pray for that because we want it. We want you. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.